You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hi, I'm Jean Chatsky, and welcome to Her Money, our weekly continuing conversation about all things financial. Very excited about this show because I'm going to introduce you to a young guy who had a lot of great advice on how to be assertive without being aggressive and get ahead, whether you're looking to do it in work or in life. I... I nabbed him on the stage we were giving a presentation together and said, and he will be a guest on my podcast very soon. So his name is Dr. Ben Sorensen. I think you'll love him and you'll meet him in just a few minutes. Also, Ali Sweeney, whom you all know from The Biggest Loser, is coming up later in the podcast. She had a, a terrible um, incident of having her identity manipulated uh, online, and she's going to tell us all about it. And we'll talk a little bit more about what you need to do to protect your own identity in this day and age where there are millions of cases of identity fraud each and every year, and that number is just not going down. But before we get into it, I wanted to ask you if you know what your superpower is. It's a really important question. And if you don't know what your superpower is, I want you to take a few minutes. You can pause if you want and think about it, or you can think about it once you're done listening to the podcast and come back with an answer. This is the thing that you're really good at. This is the thing that other people pay you for or other people call on you to do over and over again. This is your thing. This is your superpower. And mine, for the record, is being able to communicate effectively about a topic that some other people think is a foreign language, money, in words that are easy to understand. I can make the language of money accessible. And I've got to tell you that I didn't know what my own superpower was until other people started coming up to me on the street or after I had finished doing a Today Show segment and saying things like, I don't get money but you make it sound like something that I can actually accomplish. You make it sound like something I can understand. Before I started to really process this, I thought, okay, I'm a journalist. I'm a writer. I do segments on television. I report and and put together magazine packages. But if you look at my website, if you look at jeanchatsky.com, you will see a tagline that says, making money makes sense. That's what I do. That's my superpower. And when I get hired to do a job, any job, it's for that reason. 
And so I want you to think about, I want you to really know and really understand what is your superpower. You can tweet me actually, or send me a note on Facebook and tell me what you discovered your superpower is. We'll talk about these on a, on a coming episode of the podcast. But I bring it up in particular today because as you try to put yourself forward a little more at work without any sort of negative blowback, the kind of negative blowback that happens to women all the time, as we'll hear from Dr. Ben Sorensen. You really have to hold on to the fact that you are here because you are really, really good at something. So know what it is, write it down, send it to me, and now let me introduce you to my guest, Dr. Ben Sorensen. Ben, thanks for being here. Uh, thanks so much, Jean. It's great being with you. Now, where exactly are you today? So I'm um, home-based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Very nice. Very, very nice. All right. How did you get to be an expert in this? Well, uh, it kind of happened um, fortuitously. I was in law school in Washington, D.C., and uh, going about my second year in law school, and the father of a good friend of mine whose name's Dr. Marty Feldman, uh, who's an executive coach and has been in the kind of coaching leadership development world for about 40 years, um, he came to me and said, Ben, uh, I know you've been in sales and you've worked in corporate America and now you're in law school and I'm doing leadership training and executive development and I need help. Uh, would you be willing to join my team? And I said, I'll shed a tear um, pulling myself away from law school books for a little bit, but I'd be happy to help in between my classes. And that's how it started. How did you get so effective or how did you become so effective at helping women in particular? Well, it's interesting. It's it's one, it's something I I continue to hopefully improve on and, and learn as I, I grow and it, we do a lot of uh, leadership development work with organizations, and we also do a lot of executive coaching where we're doing one-on-one -on -one work with executives. And about 60% of my executive coaching clients have been female executives. And so it's, it's, I didn't um, kind of head out thinking, well, I'm going to really focus my executive coaching practice on female executives, but it just happen that way, and it has led to a great chance of learning a lot of the challenges that women are facing. And what's been fascinating for me in my work with female executives is you really see patterns across industry, uh, across experience that women are facing. And so as we were able to start developing practical skills for uh, women to implement in the workplace, I found that there's there's real application that a lot of executive female executives are not um, able to to leverage and not leveraging and, and a real opportunity to help them. What do you see time and time again? I mean, from from my perspective, I can sit here and say it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. But what what specifically do you see? Well, I think you're right. It's not fair. Um, it is my experience in working with you know whether it's big multinational organizations or it's small nonprofit organizations, is there some real double standards uh, of women in the workplace? And there are some real 
uh, unfair biases that are held against women that are not uh, held for men. And it, it, it's not right. And um, it really triggers for me a fairness and a, a justice cry of trying to make sure, while we might not necessarily be able to completely level the playing field um, from this kind of internal bias and, and stereotypes that are, that are out there, we can at least give women some real practical skills to really begin to level the playing field uh, for themselves. That's what we want to do today. We want to give our listeners some real tools that they can take with them to their offices, to their meetings, to their clients. Let's start with the fact that when women are assertive at work, it can backfire. How can you be assertive without being a bitch? Right. It's a great question, and it it plays into this uh, double standard. So when you have a man who is uh, an executive leader, uh, if he uses direct language um, such as, you know, we need to, here's the way to go, it's a no-brainer, we're going this way, you know, full-court press, um, they're seen as decisive. If a female executive uses somewhat similar language, the only way to go here, we have to, um, they're seen as a witch, and they're seen as authoritative and not accommodating and not inclusive. So how can women kind of walk this fine line? And, and so some of the language that uh, we've found has been really helpful for women is uh, to be firm but with a degree of deference. Um, so using words like this, um, my point of view is, uh, my suggestion would be, based on my experience and in working with the team, here's what we've seen. I, I'm hearing you say, my, my, my. And I bet you that a lot of the people out there listening, a lot of the women out there listening are thinking, I never say my, I always say we. That's right. That's right. I was talking with female executive at a, a, a big financial services firm, and she's been very successful. And we were talking about her self-appraisals, her the review of herself that she does uh, on an annual basis. And I was asking her for some of the language that she uses as she's doing that. And Jean, she said, well, I start off every appraisal with we have accomplished X, Y, and Z, and here as a team, this is what we have been able to do. And it's a classic example of the the research bearing out that women use we far more and the men use me far more. And this puts women at a real disadvantage because what they're doing is oftentimes not claiming what is rightly theirs, and the credit they rightly deserve. If I and the other women listening start using me more, is that going to be positively received or not so much? I think that's where you hit uh, a bias point oftentimes where there's going to be possibly some initial bristling. So I suggest a kind of hybrid in a way that women feel comfortable with, because oftentimes women feel more comfortable with the we, um, but also uh, in a way that they still are receiving credit for what they've done and how to do that. So um, one important factor for women to keep 
in mind as they're thinking about taking credit for what they've done is not only is it important for their own career to put their handprint on things and, and get credit, but it's actually really important for the organization, that the organization knows who actually did the work because credit is, uh, is always going to be attributed rightly or wrongly, explicitly or implicitly, to someone. And if an organization is crediting the wrong person, not only is it bad for the person who's not getting credit, but it's actually really bad for the organization because now someone is going to be promoted, given increased roles, increased responsibility, based on uh, an erroneous fact. So a suggestion for women as to how to kind of navigate this is to couch their successes and their accomplishments uh, at times in terms of organizational learning. So when an executive, female or male, has a success, rolls out a project, oftentimes there's great learning that is not only helpful for their team but for other teams in terms of how do you kind of successfully navigate the marketplace or navigate a matrix organization. So uh, if a female executive can share with some of the broader organization, hey, um, as a team, uh, we, we did a lot of work. I was able to base some of the work on some research that I did individually, and then we brought it together as a, a broader team and uh, rolled out in this project uh, these five uh, elements. And here are just some pieces that we found have been very successful. You're blending the I and the we, but you're also implicitly putting the I out by staking a claim and sharing that organizational learning. I gotcha. I gotcha. So let's say a woman steps up and is assertive at work and she receives backlash on the spot. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. And and it's um, regularly the case. And so my suggestion is it's so important for um, all executives, whether female or male, to be very able to adapt to the different styles that they're dealing with, the different leadership styles, the different personality styles um, that they're interacting with. So when you have individuals that push back against the, um, you know, hey, she's being too assertive, she's being overly dominant, um, being able to take a little bit of time offline uh, to build a little bit of that relationship, to build a little bit of that comfort zone, with that individual in terms of just spending some one-on-one time with them, but also not backing down just because it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable for that other person. Um, Oftentimes, women have a focus more on what's a comfort level for others rather than me. In other words, putting oxygen masks on others first before themselves, um, which can really hurt them. So it's going to feel awkward, this change in habit, this using me a little bit more, is using I, it's going to lead to a little bit of bristling, but I would encourage not to back down after the bristling. Okay. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about nonverbal communication, about body language, but before I do that, let me just remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. Fidelity is focused on helping women like all of us take charge of our financial lives, which is exactly what we're trying to help us do today with all of this conversation about us and our careers. We deserve 
to live the lives that we've worked so hard for. So visit fidelity.com slash it's time where you'll find more conversations like this one. You'll find information about how to manage your money during life's biggest events and most challenging times, whether you're getting married, divorced, starting a new career, or trying to assert yourself and get a bigger, better seat at the table. Again, that's fidelity.com slash it's time. I'm happy to be back with Dr. Ben Sorensen. We're talking about helping women like us be more assertive, more aggressive in the workplace without any sort of blowback or any sort of blowback that's just untenable. What's interesting about nonverbal communication, and and I know you say it comprises about three-quarters of all communication, is that women according to the Wall Street Journal, aren't penalized for assertiveness that they express without saying something. In other words, I'm thinking of Amy Cuddy and her power poses. Power posing is okay. Is that true? Yeah, and and not only is it okay um, from an audience perspective, but it's okay from an individual perspective. And her research shows the level of kind of, uh, of of confidence and ability to articulate clearly rises when you're taking some of those poses, even if taking striking those poses before a meeting in preparation for them. And and even when you do it, I mean, and I've I've been in seminars where we've all been asked to power pose and you stand up and you put your hands on your hips like Wonder Woman and you feel ridiculous for the first couple of minutes. But the effect of doing it before you go into that meeting has lasting effects in the meeting. Yeah, and I'd, I'd, I'd encourage um, women out there listening to not only, you know, strike the physical pose, but strike the mental pose. So what we say to ourselves or what's called our self-talk uh, really matters. And it's interesting because our internal dialogue, uh, right now I'm speaking about 120 words per minute, our internal dialogue is about 800 words per minute. Um, We tend to be some of our greatest critics. And oftentimes women can be far more critical of themselves than men can be. Um, For example, I'll give you just a little research. Um, When... Um, men and women are looking at job applications, uh, considering applying for a new role, and they're looking at the qualifications that are listed for that job. Generally, uh, women will not apply to that job until they feel they have about 95% of the qualifications and experience that that job requires. Gene, men, on the other hand, generally apply to that job when they feel they have 50% of the qualifications and experience necessary. So what that reflects is the internal confidence that's going on. So I encourage um, listeners out there to, to be aware of what is going on internally as you're going into the meeting, as you're walking into the room. Is it a you know, power pose in your mind, or is it more, oh, gosh, I, I don't want to be a burden. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just try to um, you know, kind of add a little bit of value if, if I have an opportunity. Or is it going in the meeting and saying, I have some great experience, insight um, that I'd like to share. And I'd encourage women out there to, to contribute early in meetings. This is a oftentimes a, 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 a real loss for women is they under-contribute at meetings when the meetings generally are high visibility. And so the chance to come prepared with one or two key points to bring up front 
uh, is really important to uh, stake in a claim to your expertise and ability. And, and it's okay to speak loud. And the Wall Street Journal even said it's okay to interrupt, which I, I thought that was surprising. And yet I know I've done it myself many times because sometimes I get so excited about an idea I can't help it. Right. And, and not only is it okay to interrupt, but it, it's actually really important because what our research shows is that um, oftentimes female executives can be in a meeting can make an early, strong point, but it, it can be either spoken over or someone interrupting them or someone speaking over them, and five or ten minutes later, someone making the same point but doing it a little bit louder, a little bit more clearly, and them getting credit for that uh, same, same point. So in, when you're in a meeting and you're making a point and uh, it, it seems like it was kind of lost in the shuffle, just... Um, Interrupt the conversation. Hey, excuse me, I know, you know, great discussion here, a lot of excitement. I just wanted to make sure that everyone kind of heard um, what I was sharing there is that A, B, and C. Where, where do we want to be sitting in these meetings? What's, what's the power position that we want to take? I mean, I, I go into a room, I, I don't really sit at the head of the table most of the time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So the what oftentimes happens is, let's say you're going into a meeting and there are several folks already around the table. Um, oftentimes, what we might say to ourselves is, well, you know what, I'll just kind of sit on the back, I'll sit against the wall, uh, I don't want to kind of jump right in the middle of things and cause a commotion. And I would challenge that thinking. And I would encourage um, the executives to think to themselves, who are the power centers in this room right now, where are they seated at the table? And I'd encourage you to think about, it doesn't have to be every time, but with some regularity, sit next to the influencers in the room. Sit at the table. Sit in the middle of the table. doesn't have to be at the head, but sit near the folks that are going to be uh, helping us shape and lead the discussion. And don't feel bad about asking someone to move their papers over, causing a little bit of a commotion. Um, and and interrupting a, a little bit because it, where you sit matters. The last thing you want to be is a gray spot on a gray wall. Well, you're essentially saying grab some attention. Walk into that room and grab some attention. That's right. That's right. And and it's interesting not only kind of physically grab a little bit of attention, but also verbally. And uh, the research shows that as men increase in role and increase in responsibility in their organization, they tend to speak more. Women, on the other hand, as they increase in role, increase in responsibility, they tend to flatline uh, in terms of the amount they speak. And, and oftentimes, in, just in my experience working with female executives, is you know one of the concerns is, hey, I don't want to dominate the room. I'm worried about how you know I'll be perceived. And again, it's a valid concern given some of the the, the challenges women face uh, in the workplace, but. It's also important for women to say that, hey, you know what, I have a voice here, I've got some important expertise, and I need to be heard here, and um, to be a little bit more vocal, especially because the chance to leave a lasting impression on some of these meetings uh, is is rare opportunities. In other words, you don't have your boss sitting next to you uh, all day long, so if they're in the room, make an impression. You know, not everybody listening to us today is an executive. Some people are CEOs of their households. Some people are leaders in their communities. How can you take this information and apply it to those facets of your life? 
Yeah, I think it it, it applies equally. Um, I think when we're looking at um, whatever the organization may be, and in, in the household can be an organization, and let's just take that for an example. Um, whether it's the organization of a household or the organization of a Fortune 100 company, one of the interesting points that we find is women tend to over-volunteer. In other words, they tend to volunteer for activities and roles far more than men do. And what happens as a result is women tend to burn out more quickly than men do at an organization. In other words, they can feel um, the, the effects of stress and frustration more quickly uh, than men do because they're doing more. So what I would encourage women um, to do is be very sensitive to what you're volunteering for uh, in the household or in the nonprofit organization and choose your activities wisely. Um, choose the activities that line up with um, what your natural strengths are, what your natural interests are, and I would also encourage volunteer for the organizations that have the kind of highest impact, highest value add uh, for you in that organization. And be comfortable with silence. Oftentimes when someone asks, hey, would someone take minutes or would someone, um, you know, who, who's going to make dinner, uh, a lot of times um, there's a rush to fill the silence. And I would say, hey, uh, let someone else fill the silence from time to time. And let someone else make dinner. Okay, before I let you go, very quick lightning round. You and I, let's say we're in a meeting. I might start some of my sentences with these phrases. I want you to just give me the short answer for how I could be more effective. So instead of saying, what if we did this, I should say... Hey, my, my point of view on this would be... Would it be possible to... Uh, my recommendation here... One alternative might be... I would suggest... I'd like your thoughts on... Uh, based on my experience at, at this organization and working with the team... An idea I'm considering... I'd say, you know, my advice would be... We're leaning towards... If it were my decision, I would go with... Lots of me, 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 I, I, I kinds of statements. Dr. Ben Sorensen, thanks so much for being with us today. I hope that you will come back. This is advice that all women need to hear. Thank you, Jean, for having me. So let's move on to your questions. Kelly Hulgren has joined me in the studio. We love to hear from you. Um, you can reach us on Twitter, on Facebook, and at jeanchatsky.com. Hi, Kelly. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. It's gorgeous out. It's so nice. Finally. Finally. I know. It feels like New York just took a while to get to summer. But we're here, and now it's officially rooftop season. There we go. There okay. we go. All right. What do we have? Our first question is on Twitter, at Coach Falk tweeted, serious question. I am a Finlit teacher at a high school in New Jersey. What do you believe is the most important thing they take away from class? Boy, it's such a good question because I'm sure this coach, like me, gets so frustrated with the fact that 
we're not teaching financial literacy in enough schools in this country. I, I saw recently the number of states that require financial literacy has actually ticked up a few. It's now 17, which is good, right. and that's progress, but I believe it should be all of them. The most important thing that anybody can learn about finance is the lesson of saving. You know, saving is, investing is important, and we need to learn how to put our money to work for us. But until we get the basic message that you got to put something away for tomorrow, which requires living on less than you make consistently, you're not able to do any of the other things. You know, saving is what funds your future. Saving is what enables you to reach your goals. And saving is really hard to do because human beings aren't wired to be savers. We're wired to think about today. We're wired for instant gratification. We're wired to favor the person we are today, not the person that we will be 30 years down the road. But if you can instill this lesson that you must save 10 to 15 percent of whatever it is you're bringing in from the time that you get out of college and into the workforce or out of high school and into the workforce until forever, your students are going to be in really, really good shape. And this applies to everyone, not just high school students. And it makes me it makes me think back to our conversation, your conversation with Dave Ramsey and the question he asked, will the 50 year old you be mad at the 25-year-old you? Yeah, it, it was. it's a great question. And, and the answer is, if you don't save money, yes. 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 Well, thank you. And we're going to move on to a question pertaining to student debt. Uh-huh. Deborah sent us an email. She writes, my daughter has six student loans totaling 30000 Some of these loans have an interest rate of 3.5% and some have an interest rate of 6.5%. She is consolidating these into one payment loan through edu.gov website. She is reluctant to ask for my input, but combining loans with a 3.5% interest to 6.5% interest is not the best decision, just in my opinion. Do you know of any lenders we could contact? Lenders are taking part of her salary and tax refund. She cannot live on her income with these deductions. Sometimes we don't like to listen to our parents. I know, Deborah, it, it must, it's frustrating. I get frustrated when my kids don't want to take my input too. But you're right in this case. And this is just one of those things about governmental consolidation of student loans and the difference between consolidating and refinancing. You're right. She should not be consolidating those 3.5% loans up to a 6.5% interest rate. It makes absolutely no financial sense. There are lenders these days that, assuming she is employed, will be willing to work with her to reduce the overall interest rate. And I'm thinking of leaders in the field like SoFi.com and Citizens Bank, which has actually made a big footprint in this market. Um, there's a website called MagnifyMoney.com. And if you go there, you'll find a list of all the student lenders doing consolidations these days, doing refis these days, and the different interest rates that they're offering. The benchmark tends to be that you need to have at least $10,000 before they're willing to work with you. With $30,000 in loans, unfortunately, your daughter really meets that mark. Now, the only thing I do want to tell you is that if you refi through a private lender, you lose the ability 
to take advantage of government repayment options. And these are things like income-based repayment. So, so that's something that she should look at before she consolidates or refis. Um, income-based repayment can cap the amount of money that you have to pay towards your student loans to 15% at most mm-hmm. of your salary. And that may make it easier for her to afford the payments than refining or consolidating does. So I would make sure that you cast a wide enough net to look at both of those things. When you're doing the income-based repayment, when your salary if and when it hopefully increases, does that cap also increase? Yeah. So the payment goes up with your salary. It's income-based. So it goes up with your salary. But the way these work, any debt that you still have down the road after, I believe it's 20 years in some cases, 25 years in other cases, depending on the program, is forgiven. forgiven. So if you if you are paying and paying and paying for a quarter of a century and you still have debt at the end of that road, it's wiped away. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much, Kelly. And thanks, everybody, for those questions. Just remember, whatever is on your mind, we want to talk about it. So reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, and jeanchatsky.com. And now it's time for our weekly Thrive segment. You all know Allison Sweeney from her years on The Biggest Loser. She's also a successful actress, TV host, a producer, a director, an author who recently released her third novel. It's called Opportunity Knocks. She is calling in today. and. Allie, it sounds like you are not just a triple threat. You're like a quintuple threat. Well, luckily, they don't all have to happen in one day. But um, I do have a lot of, uh, I don't know, I juggle a lot of different business. But it's, you know, fun and rewarding. And I, I really i am lucky. I love my job. So that's good. We don't hear that often enough. It's true. I know that you had an experience that shook you when your image and your likeness were used in an internet scam um a form of identity theft actually can you can you tell us what happened yeah well i mean it's um unfortunately something that was going on for several months and i really only became aware of it i'm so lucky to have such great loyal fans over the years who um i've mostly you know know through days of our lives and my experience at the biggest loser and um, you know, as I developed uh, these um, relationships through social media, uh, a lot of them came to my attention, uh, brought it to my attention in the last several months to say that they were concerned about this ad that was claiming to quote me. And um, it was really horrible because it was, of course, untrue statements, but trying to sell some sort of... Um, supplement or pill uh, that I have no idea anything about, but they're using my name and my image and fake tweets that they created to look like they were from my account to try to sell this product. And, you know, it's upsetting in general, but certainly to have to, to think that people who I, you know, know and like and fans who believe in me uh, would be fooled by this was really upsetting. So uh, identity theft is a huge issue, 10 million cases in the United States every year. Yeah, enormous. What did did you do first when you realized that your likeness was being used to market this weight loss 
supplement? Well, I, to be honest, I don't know if I'm proud of this answer, but at first I thought it would just go away. Um, so I kind of tried not to feed into it or acknowledge it. And then, and then when people started asking me about it, uh, more and more, I just responded to them individually, like, no, that's not me. Uh, yes, I'm letting my lawyer know, you know, uh, I started handling it in a case by case basis. And I found that that wasn't getting the job done other people weren't, you know, it was growing and not, not shrinking. The, um, the more I would see it on Facebook all the time and, uh, it was seemed to be becoming more prevalent. So, um, you know, then that that's when I realized I needed to stop taking a defensive position. I needed to go on the offense. And, and, and you made a um, video. Yeah, I made a video. I was pretty upset that day. And I just decided, you know what, I'm going to tell people what's going on. And they can see for themselves that it's me and that I'm saying it's not me. So don't believe it. And I didn't really have a better place to put it than on my Facebook page where I think people are really seeing the ad. So I figured the best way to combat it is to send them a video in that same location and um, I kind of didn't expect it to get quite the reaction that it did, but uh, I'm thrilled that it brought awareness to, which is obviously such a huge problem for a lot of people, but also, you know, importantly for me that it got out there that that's not, those those ads are not real and they're not me and so that people would know not to well, believe I, them. I think it resonated and, and it's been viewed now on your Facebook page alone at seven, 700,000 times. Wow. Um, I think, it, I think it resonated because it was clear how angry you were. It was clear how personal this was to you. What does it feel like to be a victim of identity theft? Yeah, it's, um, it, it frustrating and, and, and I, I was really angry and, and then I, I was hurt. I mean, you, I worked really hard my whole life, my career, you know, to build a reputation of who I really am and what I believe in and that the things I say and do, um, represent who I really am and to have someone just steal that from you and try to, um, make money off of it and try to manipulate people off of it was really upsetting. I mean, it just was so infuriating, uh, I I lost my temper. <laughs> no, in a good way. I think you lost your temper in, in a good way. What do you tell people now? I mean, we all have these social media presences, bigger or small, where it's up to us to maintain as best we can control of our image. It's important when it comes to getting that next job. It's important when it comes to protecting your personal brand. What What are you telling people now about protecting and managing their identities on social media? Um, yeah, I I think, unfortunately, as, as crucial as it is, you know, it starts to become expensive to protect. I mean, when people are willing to steal your image and create their own fake... Um, uh, likeness of a Twitter page. I mean, there's, there's just so much that's out there that's possible that unfortunately, you know, I, I pursued it, uh, legally and got, um, you know, my lawyers involved to really uh, act out and, and do something about it, which, uh, luckily, you know, put it to an, an end, like not, knock wood, at least temporarily. But I think the bigger lesson is, is an important one, which is you have to be protecting yourself when you, scan the internet. When you're looking online, you need to be looking for fraud and double checking to make sure things are legit. I mean, just the same way now I think people are much more aware that your uncle Tony is probably not really looking for money and, um, 
in, in Egypt or whatever, you know, I mean, uh, I, I think there's a lot of scams out there that now people are becoming familiar with and, and unfortunately it doesn't stop them from coming to your inbox. It just helps you learn to double check it. And, um, I think the safest bet is to be your own police, your own watchdog when you're on the internet and really, um, question things and, and double check and make sure that is your bank website and make sure that is, um, really the, the Twitter account of, of someone that you like or that you respect or a celebrity that you're interested in and maybe follow up like my fans did. I mean, they, if you see something suspicious or you see something that doesn't seem right, you know, go ask them on Twitter. And, and I can guarantee you from personal experience, I was so grateful that people sent me the link or sent me the a photo of what they were seeing on their Facebook page so that I knew what I was up against and I knew what the, what this thing looked like so I could, um, defeat it. And, uh, I, I think that that's the best bet is you have to protect yourself in these situations. Unfortunately, I, I, I think you said it best when you said a best, your best defense is a good offense. It's the only weapon that we have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you for spending a few minutes with us. I think it's important for people to hear stories like this because it, it is such a rampant crime and you have to put yourself out there and protect yourself. Yeah. And you don't want to let things like this stop you from being interactive with your fans and your friends on social media and posting photos that you want to share and, and having fun and connecting with people that are, you know, enjoying the same stuff you are or watching the same, you know, you want to have a good experience on social media. And I think the only way, um, to, is to not let these things defeat you, you know? Yeah. Absolutely right. So if we want to connect with you on social media, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, you come to find me on Twitter at Ali, A-L-I underscore Sweeney. Um, I'm on Instagram at Ali Sweeney and on Facebook at Allison or Ali Sweeney. I don't know. You have to find me on Facebook. And then, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I hope you check out my new novel, uh, Opportunity Knox, is out right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for spending a little time with me. Okay. Thank you for having me. It's brave of, of Allie to take a stand and, and talk about this, but there are a few things that we should all be doing on a regular basis to go on the offensive against identity theft in our own lives. Number one, you got to check your credits report and you want to do it three times a year. You can do it for free at annualcreditreport.com. And you're looking for information on that credit report that doesn't belong to you. That can be an indicator that something is amiss in your identity. Look for information in your bank statements and your credit card statements, transactions that don't belong to you. Again, that can be a sign that something has gone wrong. Look for changes in the patterns of when your mail is delivered or not delivered. If bills go missing, it could be because an identity thief has rerouted them to a different address. And all of these things will help you protect yourself from full-blown identity theft. It's one thing if somebody swipes your credit card number and uses it to make a transaction or two, you can shut that down very quickly because all of the credit card companies and the debit card companies, for that matter, have zero liability policies. You are not going to be on the hook for those transactions. But when somebody steals your social security number, your address, and uses this information to apply for credit in your name, apply for a job in your name, apply for your tax refund, that's where the situation gets truly dodgy 
and very, very hard to shut down. And so, again, you need to be vigilant by making sure that you are constantly checking your own files, your own information, your own credit reports, and your own statements, or that you're subscribing to a service that does these things for you to make sure that nothing is going awry. Thank you to Allie and thank you to Dr. Ben Sorensen for being with us on the show. They were terrific conversations. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. I'm saying me. Did you notice I said joining me on Her Money? If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at iTunes. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX. And join us next week when we'll be talking with Jillian Quint of PureWow.com, a fantastic email newsletter. And we'll have your questions and, as always, a terrific way for you to thrive. Thanks for listening and tune in then.